And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You'll be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do the little extra things and get it. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich? Jordan, it's Friday. I, I, I was going to put a little note here on my computer Monday. to remind myself. It's Friday. It's not Monday. Um, so we are coming back with everybody for a second time this week. And, uh, of course, after a uh, very interesting Rams victory over the Seattle Seahawks. There's uh, a lot of different things that we can discuss, and uh, I'm sure we'll try to put our finger on some of the big... Uh, yeah, Jordan just gave me a face on, on Zoom. <laughs> but Jordan, uh, how was your trip, first of all, up, up to Seattle? And uh, I, I, hear you, I hear you ran into somebody on, on your way up to Seattle who, uh, who knows us. Oh my gosh, okay. Let's start this podcast out <laughs> in a fabulous way, honestly. Shout out to Rams fan, Canadian, kind person, Isaac, who I sat next to on the plane ride up to Seattle, and he was wearing a Rams hoodie, and I asked him if he was going to the game, and he said yes, uh, and then he asked me if I was going to the game, and I said yes, <laughs> and he said, are you a Rams fan? And I said no. Because obviously you guys know, you listen, if you, you know, we, we try to, we're not, we don't have team. We're not supposed to have teams as reporters. We're supposed to be unbiased. Yes. If I was a Seahawks fan, I said, no. <laughs> it's like 20 questions. So then you have to explain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I said, uh, I, I was a journalist and he asked who I worked for. I said, the athletic. And uh, he, he got like, uh, he was wearing a mask like we all were, uh, but I sort of saw his face light up and he's like, what's your, what's your name? And I said, Jordan. And he pulls out his phone and he shows me the 11 personnel podcast queued up <laughs> on his phone. You guys, it was like the best thing in the world. And Isaac, I wanted to yeah. shout you out for not only uh, being an excellent person to talk to on that plane ride, uh, but also for uh, being generally extremely pleasant. Uh, you were uh, very respectful of my space. You gave me the armrest. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a winner right there. Yeah. And I just appreciated it. Like, it, we had a great conversation. Uh, I talked to little Rams. It just was cool. Like, that that stuff, you know, it, when it happens, it's just like, you never know. You're like, oh, I'm gonna be, am I going to be stuck on the plane with somebody who's going to, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen now? Um, but total, total gentleman, awesome, awesome person. Uh, he is Canadian, and he got into football um, back uh, several years ago, and he picked up the Rams because they were so fun to watch. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. back in 2017, and um, he was going on a, a trip um, between 
the Arizona game and the Seattle game. So he's kind of taking himself on a little stadium tour and saw SoFi for the first time and wonderful things to say about that. Um, and it just was cool. It was so cool. He said uh, he it, that we are his favorite podcast wow. and and he referenced the great discount line. So you guys, like <laughs> new favorite person on the planet besides you, of course, Rich. And we also yes. agreed that Rich should be narrating children's books, by the way, with that no, voice. No, cool. With that yeah. voice. So um, Isaac, shout out to you. Uh, you're probably listening to this. So hell yeah, man. That was great. That was so cool. And I just wanted you guys to, I texted Rich. Uh, I got to, I took a picture of him <laughs> because I, he was holding <laughs> up his phone. I know I'm so weird, but it, he was holding up his phone in the, the podcast uh, widget was like queued up and and I was like oh my god it was our latest episode the Arizona loss episode and I was like oh my god and so I sent it to Rich and I was like Rich it's happening we found a fan so that was really that, cool that is so awesome so thank you Isaac and happy Thanksgiving it's uh if you're Canadian this is Thanksgiving weekend so uh happy Thanksgiving and glad that you got to enjoy a, a nice road trip having made Road trips like those myself in college uh, and, and with my with my college team. I know if it doesn't go well, it's not a good trip. So hopefully uh, <laughs> everything went went well in uh, in Lumen Stadium and uh, the the trip was good. But glad your trip went well to Jordan. Um, interesting game, right? I mean, I know we're gonna break it down. Twenty six seventeen victory to improve the Rams to four and one. You can't ask for a whole lot more than that. It was another one of those weird Thursday night games. A lot of them are weird, so I know we'll we'll get into that some. But Jordan, part of the weirdness was guys leaving the game. Some of them were able to come back. Matthew Stafford, obviously able to keep playing. Tyler Higby came back. Even Daryl Henderson looked like he was having a little bit of an issue at times and obviously came back and finished the game strong. But uh, a couple other injuries that might have some longer lasting impact. So uh, what did we find out, Jordan, after the game and and, uh, and 24 hours later. We found out very little, Rich. As, Shocking. As to be expected. However, uh, Matthew was pretty forthcoming about what happened. I don't think, when I say forthcoming, I don't think he's ever going to ever admit, you know, whether he's any, in any pain, uh, if he's dealing with anything. But in terms of the finger, happened in the second quarter, he said, uh, it felt like he, he described it as feeling some pressure on the finger, and uh, he said he thought it was after a snap or a handoff. And then he looked down and it was like out of place. But only a little, he said. Only a little out of place. So it oh, wasn't. Okay. Yeah. So, OK, sure, man. <laughs> so he pops it back in and then um, obviously they go get that looked at. And the statistics from the first to the second half uh, would demonstrate that he did not. It did not affect him much um, in terms of the pretty complete turnaround that they made between the first half and the second half. But something to watch for sure. Sean McVay spoke to reporters um, 1 p.m. Uh, this is a Friday that we are recording. Hit the Seattle airport at 4.45 a.m. Hit the Sean McVay presser at about 1 p.m. Uh, feeling good, feeling caffeinated. He <laughs> indicated that he is uh, not concerned about this situation with Matthew Stafford. I also want to note, too, I, I, I made a point to ask Sean about uh, – some of those passes that are being underthrown, some of the ones that were sailing on him, we're going to get to it when we break down the offense a little bit more. But um, the pass, some of the passes are off, and you would indicate, you would wonder about whether something's going on, maybe with his his hand and the surgically repaired thumb. It's hard to really gauge that because 
he goes out and he lights it up after missing a bunch of throws. And um, so then you're like, well, what's maybe he is he just taking a, a minute to settle into some of these big stage games? Or do we think something's actually going on? And Sean McVay said uh, he wasn't aware of anything that was going on, if that if that were indeed the case. Uh, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt, I think. But also that's something to continue to, to sort of monitor with Matthew, not just the finger, but sort of a holistic vision of, of how he's doing and, and what's going on here. Because there are some some kinks to work out still, clearly, which we'll get to in a minute. But one of the big, big uh, things, and real quick, just to run down the list of guys who are okay, um, Leonard Floyd looked like he got hurt at the end of the game. According to McVeigh, he did not. He's fine. And McVeigh said, quote, he gave me a heart attack, but he's fine. Uh, I guess he just kind of laid there an extra second on the ground. Um, uh, and Tyler Higby, who uh, suffered a what looked like a fairly serious shoulder injury and was in apparent pain as I viewed through my binoculars from up in the press box on the sideline in the second quarter, came back, caught a 13-yard touchdown pass, really grinded out a, a really solid game, particularly as a blocker as well. Um, Sean McVay said he's going to be okay. Uh, the, the guys have about 10 days off now, and the CBA dictates they've got the next three days off, so uh, they'll have some time to rest up and repair a little bit. Um, the big the big question that we're going to also need to continue to monitor is, is uh, starting cornerback Darius Williams. Um, outstanding player, uh, really dependable guy. The Rams certainly depend on him and have for the last year. And he sprained his ankle late in the game. Um, Sean McVay described it as a mild ankle sprain. Uh, couldn't foresee Darius whether he will miss time or how much that time could be. Because it sounds to me like because we've talked about ankles being a little bit of a fickle injury zone, it sounds to me like they're going to see how he comes back in uh, this this next week when guys can come you know come back in and and actually are are you know eligible for practice again. I'm going to see how that sort of shakes out, and we'll kind of probably get daily updates on that situation next week. Um, But interestingly, some of the personnel uh, shifted around. David Long, who had uh, essentially been benched for Robert Rochelle after a a rough rough outing against Arizona on Sunday, rookie corner Robert Rochelle came in. um, When Darius left the game, they actually kept Jalen Ramsey on the outside and they played David Long in the slot where David Long had not played any snaps, zero snaps through the season and also through training camp and the preseason. So that's we're going to see how that whole personnel package shifts around if Darius does have to miss time. Um, if not, uh, sounds like Robert Rochelle will still be starting on the outside based on the um, – Rather poetic soliloquy Sean McVay went on uh, when when talking about Robert Rochelle. And also, I, I tweeted out a link to my my deep dive on how they scouted Robert Rochelle. It's some fascinating stuff in there about him as a as a prospect, him as a person. Um, it's a really good, cool blend of data and uh, player evaluation and old fashioned, you know, scouting. And um, it just I, I really enjoyed reporting it through. Um, so go check that out. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see the way this secondary changes. And and also and also, Rich uh, asked the Terrell Burgess question: um, Will we see his role expand? I asked I asked Sean McVay that, and um, he indicated that they they aren't set where they are. Like he indicated that things could continue to expand. Um, he spoke highly of Terrell Burgess. He said he believes in him. 
um, and, and indicated he'd like to get him on the field. So um, we're, we're really going to see how everything shakes out. They've got some time to reevaluate here. Um, and, and I think they have to. This defense, I mean, it shows flashes of, of a lot of its potential, but giving up a lot of yards, man, and the explosive plays just keep coming. Yeah, inter- we will see what happens there with with Darius Williams and yeah the the extra time off here, um, ankle sprains. I mean, you, you never know. It can be a couple days and he's back on his feet, or it could be two three weeks. It just really depends on how the severity of it and how quickly he's he's able to get back on the field. But yeah, Jordan, it's it, I feel like even if Darius hadn't gotten hurt in that game, we'd still be having some uh, form of this conversation because I think we've been having it over the last couple weeks uh, just about this Ram secondary. And- and you've written about it uh, so extensively and so well at The Athletic, where you can always find Jordan's stories on our app, on our website, including the most recent, uh, The Pile, which went up uh, last night. Great read on the Rams' victory um, over the Seahawks. But we've talked a lot about about Jalen Ramsey, and I know we're going to get into Jalen a little bit more um, specifically individually, but just about how that complement works. If you put Jalen in a certain role, then you need some help. You need some uh, people you, you can rely on, and it seems like that's a little bit of a work in progress uh, for the Rams. Look, bottom line, they won the game. They gave up 16 points. Uh, but again, you mentioned those explosive plays, Jordan. And, and I looked this up the other day. I didn't I didn't tweet it out because I felt like I'd been tweeting a lot of negative stuff. <laughs> I, I know that's so unlike me, uh, but uh, but I, I, I held this one back. But and and Part of the tweet that I was going to put out was started started with the with the caveat that raw numbers can be dangerous. That was actually the first thing that I wrote. Uh, but last season, the Rams allowed thirty six pass plays of twenty plus yards all season. That was the fewest in in the NFL. Uh, this season, I believe I'm really bad at math, but I believe I did this correctly. They've already allowed eighteen in five games. Uh, so they're already half of what they were last year uh, in terms of those 20 plus. I didn't look at the 40 plus. They were they were first in the league last year at that, too. I don't think there was a 40 yesterday. Um, so that that probably comes down. The average comes down. Well, there bit. was, but it was by penalty, which the receiver That's doesn't right. get credit for. So F- 50 some yard pass interference. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, that that, you know, basically is a is a 50 yard yeah. pass. I mean, it's just you just get it one way rather than rather than the other. Yeah. So. These, I mean, we've talked about these almost ad nauseum over the over the first you know few weeks of the season here. But so, so what do you think, Jordan? I mean, what what? Maybe we can get into the Jalen stuff that that we were going to talk about here. But if you're the Rams, if you're Sean McVay, if you're Raheem Morris, you've got some time now to think about this. You've you've got ten days before the next game. Uh, let, let's even say Darius is healthy. Let's, you know, and he, he's able to play. Do you take a, a, a different look at this now? I mean, do, do these results, do some of these explosive plays change the way that, that you approach this? Or do you at least have to take a look at it? I think for me, um, one of the things that I would con- expect to continue to be the case is that um, Robert Rochelle does continue to start on the outside and uh, Darius Williams, if if he's healthy, which, um, you know, as of now, we're working on optimism and not much information, right? But let's kind of just go with that and, and assume that for the majority rest of the stretch of the season, Darius will be healthy, right? Um, I still, you know, I, I think that part of the issue that they were having, and in particular with some of these matchups, a lot of these explosive plays to me, um, I, I think back to 
the one against the the first one I really remember seeing, which was um, in the air, which was the play action bite off of Carson Wentz against Indianapolis. That's that's an execution error. Uh, you're not supposed to. I mean, this, the way that the safeties are supposed to play visually, and I think that was a safeties issue as well. The way the safeties are supposed to play visually, you're not supposed to bite, and the, and they're playing from death. You're not supposed to bite on the play action in that regard. Um, and I think of some of the things, the ones that I've seen that I can remember that really were costly, multiple that came on drives. Um, there's a couple of guys uh, who work for uh, they they created a, a club at University of Michigan called Michigan Analytics, um, and and they do football analytics. A bunch of them work for PFF, um, and one of of these guys he found that when you have two or more explosive plays. Uh, or it, let, let, let me see if I can recall this correctly. I shared it out the other day. One, one or more expl- explosive play on a drive, one explosive play on a drive triples the, um, the probability that the, the team will score. So that's why Brandon Staley was so adamant and still is so adamant on first and foremost, defending the explosive passing plays. It's much more likely to suffer a backbreaking explosive passing play um, just by the nature of the ball traveling through the air or the penalties that happen or just things like that. And I think um, that that's still philosophically what this defense has to be about, but execution wise, I I just hadn't seen it happening. And I also think that it, it was, it was disadvantageous to some of the matchups that they had to have they uh, to have certain you know certain guys matched up in certain places and I and I don't I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pick on on David Long because um, you know he he is having I think a rough uh, couple of weeks seems to be handling it well um, he he's a great guy so it seems to be handling it in a, in, a, in a positive way and and hopefully you know you hope that he he responds from it and you know the Raheem Morris spoke highly of him despite the fact that he did like kind of directly call him out in his press conference um, last week. And that kind of pointed us to thinking Robert Rochelle would start. Um, you know, that's just on the outside like that. When you are dependent on overhang corners, especially if you're moving Jalen Ramsey around to have a greater effect on the ball on every snap, when you are dependent on overhang corners, they have to have some length to them. And, and, or in Darius Williams case, he's not exactly like a lengthy frame guy, but he makes plays on the ball. And so you're comfortable putting him on the outside or rotating him into the slot, which sort of unlocks what Jalen Ramsey can do when he does move back outside. And he doesn't keep, it means that Jalen Ramsey doesn't get stuck in the slot. Cause as I've explained until I am out of breath and falling off my chair, the, sl- the star does not mean you are always the slot player. It means that when it is most advantageous for you to affect the game against A, a receiver who's aligned inside, a prolific number one tight end who's aligned inside, um, when it's most advantageous for you to affect the run game, that is when you are aligned closer to the line of scrimmage. It doesn't mean you need to stay there or should stay there or will stay there. And we'll get to some of those numbers in a minute. Um it also means that you need to be really good schematically at picking your spots in which you rotate him back outside, which it, against Arizona, at least three crucial passing downs, two third downs on a second down, um, all forced incompletions by Jalen Ramsey, um, still playing, you know, 
freshly out outwardly aligned outside of the star <laughs> once in the star um and you saw that that movement a lot uh but the problem becomes when you have a mismatch on the outside on the overhang where you're de- you have a mismatch in, in terms of a 6-4 receiver against a 5-10 corner who doesn't necessarily have a a huge history of making plays on the ball as a professional player you and oh, and also I brought this up on the the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, and you also have put that on tape. Like that Cowboys practice was broadcast live on Cowboys.com, and and the Cowboys threw every receiver over six feet outside on David Long. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury had to have seen that. I I would bet I would bet money that he saw that, and they started planning from that from that point because they knew they had multiple six feet plus receivers. Jalen Ramsey's going to guard one. You're going to have to put Darius on uh, maybe your slot guy or you switch him around and Darius is on DeAndre or Darius is on AJ Green and then Darius uh, and then Jalen's on your other prolific guy. And you have to like, but but the offense can scheme around stuff too. And when you have two tall receivers like that and you can also, you're getting not pressured very much uh, and your quarterback can pick his spots then you're going to go over the top of uh, of David Long. Um, and that's – so to me, this, this is a very sideways way of me making my point and saying Robert Rochelle has length of frame. He has explosiveness. Um, his athletic profile that they found um, matched those things actually cl- very closely to that of Jalen Ramsey's. Um, he's got really, really long arms. And Sean McVay talked about this extensively when I asked him about – exactly how that corresponds to what he can do. He pointed to that last pass breakup that Robert Rochelle had um, where he basically used the back of his hand and his fingertips to break up a pass intended for um, Tyler Lockett in the end zone uh, and prevented a touchdown in an adverse situation in which Darius Williams had left the field. Um, And, you know, he gave up a couple of big plays, including that pass interference that we mentioned, and he did give up a touchdown as well um, or was the closest defender to that touchdown. But, also, like, what was going to happen? He was a rookie in his first game, like in an, in a hostile environment. In his, after, he he's out of a small school. It, after a week of scout team snaps, I mean, Rich, I saw some of the comments that people were making about him, and I just my heart went out to him. And that doesn't excuse it. those comments shouldn't be made about David Long either. But in terms of of this, like, I saw some people just being like ruling Robert Rochelle out, like as a player. Based on his, you know, and then he comes back. And, and the thing that these Rams players were talking about post game was how even keeled he was and how balanced he stayed and how like he was just good to go. And he, he problem, he, you can, and I say this phrase so much now this year, but like you could see him problem solving and putting things together in real time down there to the point where he stacked enough blocks to make that play at the end. And that was, cr- that was a crucial play for them. So I think like that seeing that and just and also the way he carried himself, I think Robert Rochelle is a long way of me saying I think Robert Rochelle will be starting for them in the future and continuing to be their sort of test run guy there. Um, and I think it's not it. A lot of it has to do with the fact that he just offers a better matchup against teams that try to scheme taller receivers to the outside and if you've got Jalen on the outside and you're forcing more difficult throws outside the numbers, which is part of the plan for Jalen, you're, you're trying to turn the quarterback's 
window away from Jalen into as small of a sliver as possible to then increase and compound the difficulty of that throw that he has to make, um, then you also want to make sure that you make it even more difficult by putting a guy who at least can, um, you know, kind of have that length on the outside and that explosiveness and the athleticism um, to, to contest some of those things should the quarterback find them. Um, and I think that's kind of the direction that you kind of saw them start to trend, particularly against Seattle. The explosives, I know, uh, it doesn't, you know, they're, I don't, I don't even know what to say about them at this point, because if you, if you allow an offense to get behind you in the passing game against this defense, like we've talked about, it's a foundational principle that's, this defense is philosophically built and predicated off of stopping the explosive pass first and foremost. So something is very wrong if you're not able to do that. And we've just talked about this ad nauseum at this point. So little things like this uh, make me believe, hey, maybe it's going to be fixed or they're at least trying things to try to fix it. They're not concrete in where they're at right now. Yeah. Um, I answer, I, I went on a lot of tangents in one, in one rant, Rich, but, uh, no, but it, it, all of this is so important when you, t- when you talk about this, this defense and, and I mean, they, they look and, and talking about Robert Rochelle too. I mean, you're, you're five games into a season and you're, you're playing the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and this team that seems like it's been together forever. So uh, I would just caution people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like you excuse things or say, Oh, you had a good game. Like, you know, you, you can look at the good and the bad, but it's like anything else. You have to put it in some context. Like you have to look at, at what he's doing and, and not everybody is Jalen Ramsey, by the way, it takes a, not J- Jalen Ramsey was not Jalen Ramsey five yeah. games into his NFL season. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so you you have to take these these things with the, with a little bit of a, a grain of salt. Uh, but it, it is it's it's fascinating to see. Uh, and I know Jordan, how you've invested so much time and and your resources into understanding all of this and and putting the pieces together. Because I mean, you you talk about you know jumping around to different things. There are a lot of different parts to this defense yeah, there and are. a lot of different things that, that you have to understand and how they impact each other and how one player impacts the other. And, and you, you know, there's, there's just a lot here and, and I would expect to, to see that evolve. It's interesting to look ahead. I mean, you, you look at the next three games. I mean, it's the Giants, it's the Lions, it's the Texans. And you go, wow, that, that's a little bit of a different challenge. I'm not going to say better or worse, but it's a little bit different of a challenge than looking back at the last three games where you say Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I mean, that is quite a three-game little little gauntlet there in terms of, of facing quarterbacks. Now, we'll see what happens. As I said, we're recording this on Friday. Uh, so the New York Giants will play uh, on Sunday against Dallas. Daniel Jones, been pretty good uh, for the first few games of the season. Not great, not not all pro, uh, but certainly better than than what we saw last year when when he was on my fantasy team, by the way, <laughs> and and ruined my. Fantasy I was gonna team. ask. I was gonna ask. I said, I I know yeah. where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So Daniel Jones and the Giants, and then of course Jared Goff and the Lions. We'll, talk, we'll have a lot to say about that next week. Uh, and uh, 
and the Texans. So entering uh, and, and even looking after that, the Titans. I mean, so looking ahead, it's it's a little bit of a different challenge than than what the Rams have faced um, over the last few weeks. And I would expect these things to continue uh, to evolve. We spent a lot of time last week talking about the defense, Jordan, and how it was just kind of an across-the-board failure. I mean, that was a terrible defensive game against Arizona. And you look at this game, uh, they did, I think, a commendable job in run defense, uh, Alex Collins. They they obviously didn't have Chris Carson. It, it seems like it seems to me like Chris Carson misses like every Ram Seahawks game. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, the guy gets hurt a lot, so maybe that that's part of it. But uh, Alex Collins comes in, fifteen carries for forty seven yards. Eh, you know, he did he didn't do really anything to to impact the game. He didn't he didn't change the game. Uh, so I thought they did a pretty good job there. And, uh, you know, they, they were able to to contain for the most part. Uh, Geno Smith came in. We didn't talk about that. I mean, God, what, a, Smith, Im- what an implosion of holy the cow. defense on that drive holy also. Holy cow. But but Jordan, I, uh, not to not to throw back the the secondary on you again. But I, I know you had some interesting stuff about yes, Jalen Ramsey. And I we got on it. And I got on a tangent. Again. Yeah. No, please, <laughs> please go back do, into that. As no, because it's really do. interesting. Yeah, and, it, and it's important to what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, and and Rich, thanks for bringing me back to planet Earth here, because I, you know, how I get going. You get me talking about defense, and God only knows where we're going to end up at that point. So I can always count on you to sort of bring me back to to Earth on that one. But um, so what what I was talking about in terms of the, the pieces and the moving pieces of these things, and each one sort of being so dependent on another and and one phase of this plan, which is, in my opinion, a great plan, which is to move Jalen Ramsey around the field like a master chess piece um, with near autonomy and, and pick your spots. And you have to also pick the right spots, by the way. And I won't say that they've been perfect at picking the right spots, but I think that the plan has has been, you know, for him, I, I, I see the vision of that plan and I think it's a really good plan where you can, you pick the spots where you can, you, you believe he will most affect the play on every play, not just passing downs, because now, because he can move, because he's so good in run support. I mean, some of the tackles this guy makes, it's like he's a, it's like he's an outside linebacker. Um, You know, you can move him now to affect a higher percentage of the plays because you're also moving him as that chess piece and you're realigning him, you're shrinking the viable windows in which a quarterback has on the other side of the ball to throw. So where, whereas before quarterbacks could um, add a mathematical advantage by throwing to a viable receiver away from the number one who was covered by the, the shutdown corner, by the number one corner, it doesn't work like that anymore. You're spreading the field out, you're distributing the ball and shutdown corners on one side isolated snap after snap after snap doesn't it just doesn't happen anymore because the quarterback yeah. can then avoid that entire section of the field and use every inch of every other space. So by moving Jalen Ramsey around, you're shrinking the area. I always talk about solar systems. You're shrinking the space, the the orbital space in which the quarterback can actually put the football. And you're making life really hard because no quarterback wants to throw at Jalen Ramsey. But his numbers show that they have to now at a higher rate. Now, I will say Thursday night was not his best game. Um, he gave up a touchdown. It looks like Next Gen Stats has him five catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown that he gave up. Gave up his longest pass of the year when aligned opposite of DK Metcalf in coverage, 25 yards. 
um, allowed DK Metcalf's first touchdown against him. Um, but still, uh, I believe that was, it. he still only had, um, something like, fi- uh, you know, four, 45, 44 yards, uh, 44 yards allowed and a touchdown to DK Metcalf, uh, two catches still not terrible, right? You don't want the touchdown, but not terrible overall next gen has them, um, at eight targets. That's a team high. So not only could you not avoid Jalen Ramsey, you couldn't avoid him at an all time at a, at a high over any other corner on the roster. That's a good plan to make him unavoidable, to make him inevitable. Right. That is the plan. And I will say, and this is this falls on Raheem Morris. This is a Jonathan Cooley thing. This is a Jiro Evero thing. Picking his spots are really important. It requires, uh, you know, schematic. Uh, you know, getting getting the the opponent's tells and tendencies and a lot of work behind the scenes and figuring out exactly where to put him based on certain tells, certain tendencies, where they think the passing play is going to go. It also really helps the situation when you can affect the quarterback so he's not picking the spots he wants to throw the ball. The Rams' pressure rate has not been good over the last couple of weeks, and they're inconsistent. There's some players starting to come along. We'll get to them in a minute, but – um, you know, just not not consistent pressure over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, you don't want the quarterback to be able to pick the spots. But overall, you are making him unavoidable. That's the point. It doesn't mean that he's right. in the slot just hanging out. It means that you are aligning him in the space where you believe he will be most unavoidable by the quarterback. And in that way, um, drastically flipping that mathematical advantage that quarterbacks have by nature of having, you know, multiple receivers on the field that they can throw to by nature of, um, you know, previously just being able to go to someone else other than that corner. Now the other problem becomes you don't want the other players the quarterback could then go to, to be giving up big passing plays. So right. that, that therein lies the other problem. So that's, that's my Jalen Ramsey rant. Or yeah, it's no. the mini rant. If you guys want the full rant, there's about 35 minutes of it over on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast from last week because I went on a little bit of a tear there. So uh, that's cheers. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, we love th- those guys too. They they do an, an awesome job. So yeah, go go check them out too. So you get what their take on all of this is too. I'm sure they have some interesting thoughts on how the the Seahawks tried to attack the Rams' uh, defense. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Fall Guy, only in theaters May 3rd, rated PG-13. Very interesting game for Jalen, and of course he, you know, he is also all over that uh, interception by Troy Reader and, and uh, deflecting that, popping that up in the air, and and uh, Troy makes a nice play on the ball to uh, to intercept it to, to keep it at zero zero uh, early in the uh, second quarter there. So that was uh, that was an important one. So yeah, interesting. You know, we want I know we want to pivot to the to the offense too, but uh, uh, just one other guy I wanted to shout out, Terrell Lewis, and uh, you know another guy we've been talking a lot about since uh, since the preseason. Well, really since. The, since the offseason. And uh, you, you look at the raw numbers. I mean, it, it, it didn't pop. He didn't pop off the sheet. I think he only had three or four tackles in the game, but just super involved in in, in everything. And uh, interesting to me, he played 63% of the snaps. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Jordan. I'm still kind of in a hold your breath, you know, uh, with with Terrell Lewis. You know, he, when he gets to the end of the game and, and everything seems to be okay, it, it, it feels like a victory. So, had, had I mean, first of all, what are you what are you seeing there from from him as he continues to develop and 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 also uh, it, it's it, do you think the Rams? Let me put it this way: Do you think the Rams are tempted at all to keep pushing that gas pedal, just knowing how well he's playing? Or, or are they going to be able to be kind of? Uh, uh, strict or, or or stay on the plan with, with that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, so I think that they will continue to be careful with that and be strict with it. I think if you see him play expanded snaps, it's um, it's not necessarily because they're just winging it in the moment. They're so strategic with some of their um, sports science and some of their recovery science, which they keep very quiet, by the way. And um, it's fascinating to try to dig a little bit on some of the the process stuff that they do and some of the really, um, really smart recovery stuff that they do. But it's kind of the same thing when we talk about like Daryl Henderson having a magic number or like a account where they think it will maximize his output while also keeping him available. It's the same thing with Terrell Lewis. What numbers of snaps and what sort of workload can you put on the affected area that will maximize your availability as well as your ability at the same time and sort of where that Venn diagram meets is, is the money spot there. Really impressed with him. I just, you know, 
you and I have been talking about this guy for the last year and a half in terms of we know what he's capable of, if, 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 right? And he's starting to put it together and it's really great. We, we talked to Leonard Floyd earlier in the week and like, oh my goodness, it's the most endearing thing in the world to see Leonard Floyd just light up talking about Terrell Lewis. Aaron Donald lighting up talking about Terrell Lewis. Aaron Donald mentioned something that I thought was really interesting in that uh, Terrell Lewis, it's kind of what we talked about with Robert Shell. Terrell Lewis will adjust the different types of ways that he's trying to assert in the game. Um, not just, to, you know, if certain facets of the pass rush aren't working, he's trying to stick a hand in throwing lanes. Um, he's trying to continue to improve even in in-game situations. I think that shows a level of maturity as a player and a, a growth, like a, a growth capacity as a player when you're not just in there up to your ears and just like, sort of treading water wide-eyed and just trying to like stay afloat and just like every play is it's it's just like a whirlwind. Instead, you're looking around and you're choosing your moments and you're choosing, you know, how you can improve and you're choosing the different ways where you can sort of troubleshoot and fix tendencies. And I think that's what I see with with Terrell Lewis. Um, big day for him. That was a huge sack for a loss of 12 yards. Really, yeah. really needed it. After that, you know – Matthew Stafford started to find some momentum and really started to try to uh, turn what was an extremely ugly first half. Like, oh my goodness, it was a gross first half. <laughs> and and that first half of football and Russell Wilson's finger. I mean, you talk about gross. The poor guy. Feel you, you feel for him. That thing they kept showing it on the broadcast. I don't understand why they do that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it just you could feel Matthew Stafford sort of. And the offense sort of gather themselves after that big splash play and start to um, try to flip things over. Um, and it started working. Yeah. Th- thank you for that great uh, transition there. That's, that's exactly what uh, one of the things that I had written down, because, you know, what we're talking about here is uh, the Rams. I mean, I don't know how much we want to say about that first half. It was just it was out of sync in, in pretty much. Uh, every area, but but they're able to go into it uh, down only seven to three, so it wasn't out of reach. But the Seahawks got the ball uh, to start the second half, so that was a very important drive. And uh, they seemed to be moving a little bit. They got the ball to to midfield, and then on second and ten, uh, Terrell Lewis comes up with a big sack, loss of twelve, and uh, the the Seahawks punt, and the Rams come back with a very pass heavy drive. Uh, which is fine. He's, it ended he up says, working out. He, he says his voice dripping with a, <laughs> a certain a certain quality of sarcasm there. Yes, a, l- a little bit. But here's the play that I, I think everybody's going to want to talk about here. And it's an interesting play on, on a number of uh, fronts because – uh, the Rams got the ball back there. Now, what's probably going to be forgotten in a little bit of this is that they they didn't move the ball particularly well when they got it back. It was third and 10 from their own 20. And Matthew Stafford drops back to Sean Jackson, taking a nice leisurely run through the middle of the secondary, which didn't seem to pay much attention to the ball. Matthew Stafford actually underthrows this ball quite a bit to Deshaun Jackson, who does a great job of locating it and adjusting to it and making the catch and turning it into what ended up being a 68-yard catch and run that really just turned the tide, uh, Jordan. It, it, it felt to me like that was the play. Uh, it, it, is that that you were obviously there at the stadium? I know in Seattle you sit behind a glass uh, booth there, so it's kind of hard to judge sometimes. But it felt like that was the play that kind of turned the tide. Yeah, and and it's it goes back to what we we're talking about. Literally, why this Rams defense wants and needs to contain these specific types of plays. 
they break your back. You know, it's like when Bane lifts Batman up in the air. You know what I mean? Like it's it literally is it, it's such a momentum and like momentum isn't qualitatively real in football. It's more of a, an emotion in football. But at the same time, the the way that you can quantify those incredibly important explosive plays and, and the when they happen and and the you know the the quarterback sort of settling in once something like that connects, um, all of those things very very important and that was and I and it should not be understated. Deshaun Jackson played that pass extremely smartly um, and sort of came back. He, uh, we said on the last podcast, my personal plan would just be throw it the hell downfield as far as you can for Deshaun Jackson and understand that he will probably position himself under it because he is still very, very fast. Um, but at the same time, I we did get kind of a peek into some of the whys behind a little bit of those underthrows. Um, and the first one against Arizona that was, of course, intercepted uh, Matthew Stafford said that he picked the wrong throw in terms of the over versus the under and uh, because he thought that Byron Murphy was coming over the top. Well, in this last one, if you will see, and I'm not excusing an underthrow at all, let me be clear on that, but you will see um, that uh, I believe it was Jamal Adams was certainly coming over the top on that. And so if if it was on purpose, which these guys are uh, – you know, the best in the world at what they do, but I still am not willing to say that it was completely on purpose. I think it depends on who you ask, probably. Um, but if it was at least intended to be slightly uh, to where it wasn't coming directly over the top, where Jamal Adams would have been able to not only make the play on the ball, but it be in perfect position for the receiver, then, then to not be able to make uh, sort of that reverse pass breakup situation happen or make the tackle if there was an interception. Um, he's coming over the top and Deshaun Jackson helped it along like so well because he sort of stutter stepped underneath as he was tracking the ball, um, and perfectly, uh, positioned himself to make the catch and then ended up getting a, a couple of, uh, several extra yards after the catch as well. And that was just so important. And, uh, you know, it, it really was just such a, a tale of two things because, you know, the Rams were at first, the first half, 4.8 yards per play, uh, you know, a field goal, you know, a touch, you know, a touchdown, uh, lots of punting scoreless on their opening drives again, uh, you know, held without touchdowns on their opening drives, you know, barely squeaking through getting off the field too quickly in some cases. Um, and then ultimately after that pass starts to click and they start to click into place and they start to get things going and execute, um, Robert Woods obviously having a huge part in the way that they were able to execute and 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 uh, manipulate some of those contours that cover three that we keep seeing Seattle go back to that there is a literal playbook for how to destroy that and the Rams utilized it um, and you know they they just started to assert themselves a lot better and particularly after the ultimate assertion which is a play like that. Um, and, and it was really important in the second half, uh, they upped their average. It's really hard to like lift that average, right? You have to be way over to lift it over three, three point three, uh, average yards per play, which they did. They went to 7.7 yards per play by the end of, of the game. Uh, so in, not just to neutralize the average, but to lift the average, like that takes a little bit of an effort there. Um, and, and so, um, they, they looked a lot more like what they should look like 
uh, at the end and particularly in some of those tempo drives that they exercised um, some of the, it, you know, wasn't just the, the 96 play or excuse me, I keep saying that the, the 96 yard, 96 plays, my God, what do you, that'd be something else. Yeah. The 96 yard drive. It's not just that it's also, um, you know, some of the, te- some of the ways where they pick their tempo, um, some of the, the, the way they tried to score very quickly when Russell Wilson was getting his finger looked at on the sideline, um, hopefully that didn't go unnoticed by people. They were trying to capitalize on, you know, maybe four. It, it backfired on them, of course, because you know Geno Smith came in and scored. But it, on a 98-yard drive, but um, you know, trying to push the pace of that scoring drive uh, so that you could keep Russell Wilson off the field if he wasn't fully through um, the check process with the medical staff, just things like that, where they just started to try to assert themselves in in various ways, and they started successfully doing that. Um, and, and it all starts with something like that. You know, it, it, it might not always be the big play. It sort of feels like the Rams are forcing it to try to be that big play that hmm. gets things rolling for them every time. Um, and maybe we'll see that change a little bit. But, you know, it's also the, you know, it, it, it it's also the the things that just start to click those back to back 20 yard plays by Robert Woods and, and you know, a scheming guys open on um, our Ted Wynn had a great series on the same play, literally the same passing play against that cover three, like multiple times through the second half. Uh, Just things like that that help you feel like you're asserting your plan um, that really, really helped them move forward. Yeah, you, you mentioned that that rhythm with with Robert Woods and those two. Those are two big on the on the next uh, drive the, after the Rams took that nine to seven lead. Then uh, they went uh, forced Seattle to go three and out, and and that's when that connection with Robert Woods really came through. I mean, the two twenty yard plays, uh, like you said, and it was funny, Jordan. The talk, I mean, Robert Woods ends up with with uh, twelve catches on fourteen targets for a hundred and fifty yards, so a, a big game. I, I have to say, I, th- I think it was the first play of the game. I, I rolled my eyes a little bit because it was clearly a a forced, you know, I think it was like a bubble screen where it's like, okay, we get it. You're going to throw the ball to Robert yeah. Woods, uh, but but then it started to make more sense. Like I think it probably got them in a little bit of a rhythm, and they they went back to him uh, a couple times in early in the the game in the first quarter where it clearly looked like Robert. Woods was the first read and and Matthew Stafford was able to get the ball to him. So it didn't pay off right away with with a lot of uh, big stuff, but it just seemed like they got more and more comfortable as the game went on. And it, it obviously paid off in, in some really big catches uh, in the second half. Went back to a little bit more of that script that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that worked. I, I shouldn't say script, that, that suggests that it was a plan, but uh, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup end up combining for 24 targets out of the 35 uh Tyler Higby only with two targets and and obviously one of them was a was a touchdown so uh that was effective they tried to get other guys involved they they tried to get Van Jefferson going a little bit he had one nice catch there was I think there was a drop in there there were a couple of missed throws that that really wasn't working so they had they just had Woods and Cup uh, uh working and and Matthew Stafford did a good job of of you know keeping it wasn't like he was throwing to Robert Woods at the expense of Cooper Cup. Uh, Cooper Cup still had nine catches for, excuse me, seven catches for 92 yards and was still very involved uh, in that offense. Uh, but it didn't look like they were forcing it. And to me, that was the difference between this week and, and last week. Everything that happened this week seemed like it was a little bit more in the flow and the rhythm 
of an offense. Uh, and then my favorite topic. Yay. Uh, I yay, knew we the would run get game. Here. I knew we would get here. Yeah. So interesting, Jordan. And, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this as I, I, I think we both uh, – uh, kind of uh, uh, dissect or or translate Sean McVay uh, at times, but so Daryl Henderson I thought had a, had a great game, uh, seventeen carries for for eighty two yards, almost five yards per carry, boosted by that really nice twenty nine yard run uh, that that also came at an important time. Now Sony Michelle ends up with eleven carries. He got put in the game basically. I don't know. I don't know whether this is by design or not. I don't know how much Sony Michelle would have played otherwise, but there was a period there where Daryl Henderson went to the sideline. It looked like they were looking at his left arm, not really sure what what came of that. But uh, Sony Michelle came in the game and had some some nice runs there. So the split ends up being not too wide with with Daryl with seventeen carries and and Sony with eleven carries. And Jordan, I know after the game, I, and I, I think this was uh, your question even uh, asking. Sean McVay uh, a little bit about that. And he suggested something interesting, which again, this is what I want to get your thoughts on because sometimes coaches will say things like this because they think it sounds good or because they think it's the right thing to say. He suggested that there could be a little bit more of what we saw in that game, that these guys can complement each other. Now, Jordan, do you believe that? Or are we going to go back to a a heavy dose of of Daryl Henderson against the Giants? Well, I believe it because I saw it. I mean, I, and I, we all saw it, you know, like I, I think that was a really smart run game plan for them. You know, uh, the one I absolutely hated almost through my computer was the was the wave the white flag call on that third and 10 where they ran the ball Weird. on third and 10. That was like the 2019, 2020, uh, screw it, the series is over anyways throwaway play. That's really the one that I didn't agree with. The other run, I mean, the run game, I loved watching that run game from up. We had a great view in that press box, a great all 22 view, but we weren't far, we weren't super far away. So we could see some of the intricacies of the, of the blocks being thrown and some of the holes that were being opened up. Um, there was a 29 yard run by Daryl Henderson. I, he, he made a, a gorgeous cut and, and Tyler Higby threw a block for him. Uh, like shoulder falling off of his body, Tyler Higby, like threw a block for him. And I like, I just like had to sit back in my chair. I was like, holy smokes. That was just like, my goodness. And, but I really liked it because then when you, when Sony Michelle would come in, you wouldn't feel that sort of jolting thing that they were sometimes tried to, where they sometimes were, when they were trying to establish a sort of committee approach with three backs um, in, in 2020, which was it just kind of felt jolty sometimes. But in this, in this case, it almost felt seamless when they would spell each other and rotate in and out. And Sony Michelle and Dara Henderson are different runners. And you could really see that. And you could see how the defense struggled to adjust with it. Yes, we know Seattle's run defense is very poor this year. Defense as a whole is giving up record numbers of yards at this point. Um, so you better have gotten the run game going against them, essentially. But that's not to discredit what they were able to do because they really were working and making some nice, um, just just picking up some nice yards. And and I it was interesting because and I don't know if if it's because their skill sets complement each other so well, or because they picked the right numbers for both of them and the right moments for both of them. Or uh, because uh, the the game was going the way that it was, or all three, but it felt really seamless when they would rotate in and out, and it was almost like the explosiveness of Daryl 
and then you'd get a little bit of that like downhill, like power running smooth sort of um, stability from, and you'd get like a flash and then you'd get stable and then you get a flash and then you get stable and you get a flash. And, and it was really, that that was kind of the way that they were doing it. I would imagine that's very difficult for a defense to counter because you're changing so often your keys and your different things that these guys do running outside uh, a lot of times with Daryl Henderson, and, and you saw that work effectively, and then running right down their throats with Sony Michelle, and you saw that work effectively. And I think both of those guys are so steady personality-wise that it really helps them um, complement each other in that way. And so that's really what what the goal was when they, in my opinion, and that's what I heard from people behind the scenes, is that that game what they produced and maybe hell, maybe a little more if they, if they, if they had the opportunity to do so, if they couldn't, if they hadn't have been so slow to start essentially, um, more yardage, you know, that, that seemed like close to around Daryl's magic number that we just talked about earlier. Um, but we know Sony can take a, a larger carry share, but if you don't have to, if it's working effectively and the number is right for both guys, then that's what they will do. And it's it's less about having a set number. I know fantasy football players, you will kill me for this and I will hear it. <laughs> but it's not about the number of carries or the percentage of carries. It's about what is right in the moment and the situation. Yeah. And the fact that you have two guys who can execute situationally in that way that feels seamless, that is what becomes uh, really important. Do you think this is close to what we would have seen with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson? Yes. Or how much? How much do you think it would have been different? I think it would. I think this is very close to what we would have seen with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. I do think you'd probably see Cam Akers the lead back in a lot more cases. Right. Um, but I still think you would see a compliment um, in that regard. And and I think it's if again if you could make it work. It's really smart. You don't want to do it at the at the cost of the rhythm of your run game. Of course not. And if that's not working, you move toward one guy as a lead back. But and certainly situationally, like if if power running is better option, you go with the power runner. If it's, but but both types worked against Seattle's defense, right? Yeah. And so it, it was like to me the ability to pick your spots. It doesn't come at the detriment necessarily of someone else because in this case, it's both guys who have dealt with an injury history and have had some issues. And so both both picking these spots in this way didn't necessarily come at the detriment of each player unless you're only in it for uh, you know fantasy football points, in which case you're like, oh, man, two more carries, Daryl, dang it. Right. Um, which they're, they certainly don't care about. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you guys. Um, but it, it was, it was, um, it, it maximizes availability. It takes the, literally yeah. takes the workload off of a player's body. Yeah. So it, that's, that's kind of that sweet spot they're going for, especially when faced with this adverse circumstance of, of Cam Akers being out, you know, it, 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 it maximizes, they, they hope will maximize both ability and availability. Yeah, and, and that's why I liked the signing of, of Sony Michelle. I mean, obviously the loss of Cam Akers was was terrible, uh, not for him and and for the team. But there there were, there were different things that they could have done there. And I know people had a lot of different ideas about different running backs or whatever. But and I'm not saying I was a Sony Michelle expert in, by any by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it made sense when they signed him, uh, just because it, it it made sense that. 
Daryl Henderson was not going to suddenly become a 25 carry per game running back, nor was the person who they signed, whoever whoever that was. Um, so what you're going to be looking for is, I think, exactly what you just explained very well, Jordan, is, is that compliment, uh, not only in the number of carries, but in the style, somebody who could bring something a little bit different. Um, so I, I think this works, and I, I think it'll be interesting to track how they uh, continue to, to use those guys. It's not easy, and I know I saw Sean McVay shout out Thomas Brown, you know, a- after the game last night, you you do you you have to put some thought into that. You know how how are you going to get these guys in a rhythm? Are, are you you can't be predictable either when you when you put certain guys out there. You can't start to have tendencies uh, that that defenses can can pick up on. So it's not easy. It's not easy to navigate when when you've got a situation like this. But I, I think if the Rams can do it well, then then they've really got something here, and uh, it's it's going to be great to track. Jordan, uh, speaking of the run game. Which which came into play here is something else. Uh, the run game near and dear to my heart, but something I know that's always near and dear to your heart is uh, fourth down decisions uh, oh, that, that Sean McVay made. And I, I genuinely want. I'm not going anywhere. Let me pull here. up my chart, Richard. Yes, please get the uh, because I'll, I'll set the table here because I thought <laughs> this was interesting. And and when I say interesting, I'm not being snarky. I, I genuinely thought it was interesting. So we're, we're talking about the same drive here late in the second quarter. Uh, the Rams are, are down seven to nothing at the time. Uh, they uh, face a well, they fa- let's back it up. They face a second and two at the Seattle 24. They run it to Sony Michelle for zero yards. So third and two from the 24, Sonny Michel picks up one yard. So now you've got fourth and one from the 23. You've basically just been stuffed uh, twice. Sean McVay decides to go for it from the Seattle 23. Good decision. And picks it up. Yeah. yeah. And, and Sonny Michel picks it up with a two-yard gain. Drive continues. They get it down to the Seattle 12. It's a third and one. They hand it off to Sonny Michel again. Gets stuffed. Loss of one. Fourth and two from the 13 and they kick it a 31 yard field goal. I Jordan what what did I miss there? Like to to me to me if if I knowing what I know of Sean McVay, I I think I would look at the ball in the 23 yard line and say okay, he's going to take the 3 points there because he doesn't want to go into halftime uh down 7 nothing and not scoring any points. He goes for it there but then kicks it from the 13. Yeah. So that was that was weird. Yeah. So both are go situations, statistically speaking. Uh, right. And what I track, what I used to help track this two uh, sources that I really, really trust. And if you guys aren't tracking along, um, you definitely should be. Um, ben B. Baldwin. He has a uh, he has created an algorithm via a Twitter bot that tracks all of the fourth down decisions made in the NFL, and it will tell you what the win probability percentage is per decision, uh, whether it's a go situation or a kick situation or a toss-up. And also um, Edge Sports also uh, sends those analytical models as well and and does a lot of that stuff live. Um, So here we took both. Um, Both were go situations. The second was a higher win probability plus go situation, uh, 6.1% win probability added uh, by going for and converting that fourth down. Um, while uh, the other was, the first one was a 4.5% win probability incre- increase. Both were, again, both were go situations, uh, but instead of the first, you know, 
I certainly don't think they're looking at this. Otherwise, you know, because I, I don't really, I certainly don't think they're tracking this. But I, I do think that uh, maybe they do it after the fact. But in game, I, I don't, I don't right. get the sense. Sean McVay is one of the most conservative coaches in the league in fourth down decision making. I certainly don't think they're tracking in game win probability increase and incre- decrease in terms right. in terms of these specific decisions. That that situation, um, because he converted, they converted that. Uh, fourth down and one on the 23 that added four and a half percent in win probability um, to the drive, you know, to that one drive. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if he would have converted the other, it would have added another 6.1%, which is obviously, you know, close to 11% on one drive, which is a huge swing in in your favor um, in terms of increasing your win probability in a single seer, in a, you know, in a single sort of progression down the field. Um, but part of it, I, I wondered if it might've been situational. I mean, I, I'm not going to give McVeigh the benefit of the doubt there. Cause he probably would not have gone for both of them anyway. Um, but wondering if that was that second one was when Matthew Stafford may have gotten hurt. Um, I was just looking at that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I kind of wondered if that second one, I mean, again, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? If <laughs> if a double punt is punted and nobody's there to see it, oh is it doubly gosh. punted? Um, but I, I really think that that was maybe more of a situational decision in that regard uh, for because you weren't sure what happened to your quarterback's hand at that point. Right. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, that decision, both going for it on Bolt would have been analytically sound decisions, both correct decisions to make. In that situation, one out of two is good for McVay. Uh, right. Because again, he is among the most conservative coaches in the entire league in those fourth down decisions. Um, so you, you, you know, they won the game. So we're not sitting there thinking, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and calculating by how much win probability did you ultimately dip. Uh, but going forward in both, um, you know, I long for the day when I see such a thing, but I, I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't see it happening. It's something I'm like trying to work on in terms of having that conversation. I doubt that's a conversation that most coaches are willing to have in a public press conference setting. Um, right. So you guys just like might have to be patient with me on that one, but it is something right. I'm very interested in or, or at least giving you the real answers um, and not what they're supposed to say or not supposed to say. Um, the, you know, I, I just think that, um, that's going to be interesting to track. I think that if you're a coach and you're not looking at these things, not as an end all be all, um, but as a tool to add to the tool chest, like it's the same to me as, um, you know, leveraging some play action for a quarterback or, um, you know, your ability to run play action out of shotgun versus only under center. It's, adding little edges and little advantages to your to your repertoire so that you can pull them out at the right time in the game and leverage them as an advantage against an opponent in the right situation. It's not about like I'm blindly following what this graph tells me. Right. It's about understanding the the what it's telling you and and how you can apply it situationally. Um and I think that, you know, you're seeing more and more coaches take to this and do this. And I, I just, I wonder that is my, my legitimate question because we know how advanced the Rams are in other areas. I wonder how clamped down they still kind of are in this space, you know? 
Yeah, it, it is super interesting. But yeah, just this the contrast of those two decisions. But you're right. As you were talking, Jordan, I was looking at my notes there and I saw, oh, there's the a few plays earlier I had written the the nine RT index finger. So uh, that very, uh, you know, Sean McVay again, well, the Seattle did call a timeout. So he didn't have to make that decision in a couple seconds. But he probably looked at it perhaps and said, oh, you know, my my. My left tackle just got blown up here and cost us a one-yard uh, loss. Uh, my quarterback uh, currently has four functioning digits on his on his right hand. I don't really want to go into halftime with with zero points, so maybe I'll just take the three here and and go in. So yeah, I, I, I guess if if that factors in a little bit, um, I, I would understand it. I guess. Jordan, I was probably, given the context of all the things that we say here, I, I was probably more surprised that he went for it uh, the first time from the 23. Like I know. That, that, that to me was a, a more, when we talk about Sean McVay and his decision making, that was a more interesting uh, one to me that that he would choose to uh, to go for it there. So, uh, of course, that drive ends with a, with a Matt Gay field goal. And, of course, we cannot end this podcast <laughs> with, without staying on brand. Uh, and talking about wow, I mean, there look, Jordan. There were a couple times there where it was like, uh oh, is that missed extra point going to come back to to haunt them? And then he he sends two kickoffs out of bounds. I don't have we even seen that from him once. We have I, seen I'm a kickoff sure. go out of bounds from him. Uh, the doink plus the two out of bound yeah. kickoffs. Uh. We've also seen him short some remember we, we've seen him short those touchbacks. Yeah, and then he he redeems himself in the eyes of Sean McVay at the very end because it was real shaky ground there. They were going to pull a Lane Kiffin on him at the terminal, and oh boy! And uh, I know you oh you that oh, yeah. reference is near and dear to your heart, Rich. Yeah, yeah, of bringing course. back some old wounds for Speaking you. Speaking of things that happened at four in the morning, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I feel like. That's just that was that was shaky ground there for a minute. I mean, they they love Matt Gay. Matt Gay really fits in seamlessly with the team and everything. So it's almost like they're kind of just grinding their teeth if he if he misses or is inaccurate in some ways because they're just like, oh, we really like this guy. We feel like we want to have found our kicker. Gosh, dang it! And right. um, and then you know he kind of redeems himself at the end. And Sean McVay like went out of his way in his press conference. To talk about how Matt Gay redeemed himself essentially with that last field goal to sort of ice the game away, um, and then and then also to uh, to sort of put out there that Matt knows he needs to be better and all of this stuff. So, but man, that was that was tenuous ground for a minute there. Oof. I thought I'd seen every weird situation. We saw a two-two Atwell kickoff return fumble. Yeah, uh, he tripped. Landed chest down on the ball, and the contact squirted the ball out and out of bounds, so got very lucky. Seattle didn't pick that one up, um, and so that was bad. Uh, at a certain point, you had Cooper Cup back returning kickoffs and punts, which also uh -oh. speaks very poorly of your return viable returners on the roster. Like I'm not, I'm trying to tell you guys, it is not their first choice that Cooper Cup is returning yeah. punts and kickoffs. It's a have to at times, uh, and a, and a pretty pretty crappy one at times i think too it's i i'm not saying cooper is bad at it at all i'm saying right. that you just don't want to open somebody up to that um especially the how physically he plays the game in the in the run in the passing game totally threw his body on the line uh to block jamal adams kind of saw a role reversal to go back to your point about robert woods just to bring this up really quick is like you saw cooper really um get after it 
in blocking in the past game as well yeah. uh, before those last couple drives where they sort of opened it up with him. Um, and you saw him sort of uh, just throw himself in the way of, of Jamal Adams, uh, at least on one time that I saw on a, on a clip that was kind of getting shared around um, in, in order to help spring, spring other things loose. But yeah, you, you, it's reflect poorly reflective of the, their confidence in their other returners. If you're seeing mm-hmm. that happen. Um, mm-hmm. So that's still very much a work in progress. And then, then Seattle, you know, there's a missed field goal, or excuse me, a missed PAT by Seattle, and then and then you see um, the I don't even know what to call it, the double punt. Is that what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I was just gonna say the the person I I felt sorry even even more than uh, uh, Russell Wilson or Matthew Stafford in that game. Poor Jameer Jones. I know uh, it makes a great play, and it, it you saw it, and I saw it, and all of our listeners saw it. But according to the stat sheet. It never happened. Jameer Jones did not even get credit for a blocked punt on that. So because uh, Michael Dixon is able to pick up the ball. I mean, Michael Dixon made a remarkable. He's got to be the most athletic punter uh, I've ever to, to, to pick up that ball and, and have the sense to, to give himself some space and, and kick it again. Yeah, I, we don't need to spend too, the, the Rams. I can tell you were very upset yeah. uh, about the way that this played out and understandably so, by the way, because that uh, that field flipped. They would have had the ball, I think, inside the 20 yard line, maybe even inside the 15 yeah. uh, of Seattle and ended up being completely flipped the other way. And Seattle ends up scoring and making it a, a tight game that that easily could have had a, uh, a, a an impact on the game. Just real quick. Yeah. What happened there is that that's actually a legal play for, for anyone who, who doesn't know, as long as the punter stays behind the line of scrimmage. And, and that was a very uh, there was a flag thrown on that play, by the way, and and it got picked up. So somebody looked at that initially and and knew the rule. Uh, the 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 broadcasters initially were kind of you know taking the officials to task, and actually I kind of did on on Twitter too, thinking like, oh, they don't understand the rule. Well, I think they did understand the rule. Uh, they just they threw the flag knowing or believing that he was across the line of scrimmage. And then I don't know what conversation took place or, or what have you, but they decided to pick it up. And then the other part of it was that I was told that because at one point on the broadcast, they actually showed Sean McVay with the, with the flag in his hand. Um, so, and, and I was told that, that he was told that they looked at it uh, up in the booth. So honestly, Jordan, if it's me, I still would have, I would have thrown the flag just if, if nothing else to like, slow things down and yeah. be like, hey, wait a second, guys. Like, let's let's talk about this. And I don't think he could, though, because they immediately, they had sent it to New York already. Yeah. So it would kind of be like, well, unless they come out and contradict themselves what they had just right. like publicly ruled. And I think him being told that, it's almost like, well, you're going to just take out somebody's like choice and ability to do that. Like, you're just going to take out... You're going to yeah. remove that. And so for me, that's where I would also be mad where it's like, well, I don't I still don't believe you're right in this. So, yeah, I'm going to challenge it. But then them right. telling him like, no, it's just so is you're just going to waste your time on it instead of like, mm, maybe we should take a closer look on that one. And right. um, and then it was like it, it they were furious. So I don't know if a lot oh, of yeah. people know, like uh, a fit team officials, players and coaches. This is the like. I guess I suppose I understand why it exists, but. I cannot imagine how frustrating this would be. Team officials and players are not allowed to publicly criticize officials. <laughs> Otherwise, they get a hefty fine. Oh, yeah. 
And so you have to be really careful. Like you can ask him about it, but you have to be really careful in how you respond in this way. And so Sean was like very dry and responding to it in his press <laughs> conference and was just like, I don't have the brain power to explain that. And then went on to sort of rant about it for a minute. Right. And um, and then like, you know, people people throughout the the building were just pissed. And and that's, you know, re- reasonable because it just was yeah. like yeah. Of course, and players players were like, "What the hell, Jameer Jones?" I I feel bad. I felt bad for him. Not only is he just it's it's he's just erased. It's 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 honestly it's punt block erasure, and I'm mad about it. I'm angry about it, and <laughs> and I think it it also this this man all all already has to suffer the indignity. The Seahawks don't even have him on the flip card up in the press box. Oh man, like he's not on the he's wearing the. Former Stephen Wortel, the long snapper who lost the long snapping battle in training uh-huh. camp. Uh-huh. He's wearing Stephen Wortel's jersey. Right. I mean, give this man a break. Like no he kidding, made an right? excellent play. I, I stand. I, I'm standing against uh, punt block erasure. I thought that was a phenomenal play. <laughs> if there's one thing that Jordan Rodriguez will not stand for, it is punt block erasure. <laughs> Uh, that's one thing we know. Uh, yeah, a wild one. Wild, wild game. Jordan, you covered it so well on the pile at theathletic.com and on our app. Jordan, I hope you get a couple days to relax. I'm just I know ready you to probably sleep, won't. I'm ready. You'll be researching some story <laughs> and you'll be doing interviews. I know how you are. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, Rams fans, you can relax this weekend. You can enjoy watching some football. It'll be on like all day Sunday with the London game and then the two uh, afternoon games and the night game. Uh, just just gorge yourself on football and you don't have to worry uh, about whether the Rams are, are going to, to win or lose. So uh, I know Jordan will be all over it leading up to um, what should be an interesting game the following week in, uh, in New York or in New Jersey, I guess. Um, so Jordan, our good friends, we thank our subscribers who have been with us. For so long, but we Through know there's the some out there. All the ups and all the downs. All the ups and all the downs. <laughs> but we know there's some out there who might be on the fence. And uh, as our good friend Isaac knows, that if you go to theathletic.com/slash eleven personnel, you can always twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You can sign up there to get Jordan's great coverage, and if you do so, you get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what. A great discount, you guys. You get a great discount every time you go to the 11 Personnel Podcast page and you sign up for The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast. You get my favorite thing in the world every single time, a great stinking discount. Very, very excited uh, to continue on this journey with you guys. Uh, We hope you're taking care of each other. We hope you're taking care of yourselves. We hope you're leaving us five-star reviews. Uh, we hope you're sitting on planes and telling people about us. You know, that's right. Really, really, really appreciate uh, all of the all of the support, all the love. Uh, really appreciate all the people who tweeted at me uh, last night to tighten the tart. Uh, very excited <laughs> to see that that thing still has legs, <laughs> um, as wobbly as they might be. Uh, yes. it's, it's still got legs. Um, so uh, appreciate that, you guys. Um, we'll be we'll be back. Uh, you know, we got two episodes this week, so we'll be uh, a little bit little bit longer without a without an episode unless something crazy happens which this time of the year you probably hope that nothing crazy happens um but 
Uh, and next time we catch it, it'll be after the New York Giants game um, in New Jersey. So you guys make sure to follow along with me at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter at Rich Hammond, Rich underscore Hammond. And always, we appreciate you. We thank you for being with us and we're looking forward to next time. 